Return of the King Chapter 10 God's Gift Darry found his mum in the doorway when he got home from work. She danced on the spot, bubbling over with curiosity, and handed him a small envelope constructed from heavy, high-quality paper. His name and address were handwritten, in the most beautiful and legible cursive Darry had ever seen. The stiffness of the envelope suggested it held a card. Open it, Darry. Open it. I've been waiting all day to see what it is. Is one of your friends getting married? Is it Jeremy? Oh, he always was very gentle, that one. Very gentle. She bounced around him, trying to get a good look as he tore the envelope open. Mum, he said, his voice shaking. I, I've been invited to be in a panel at the Making a Man conference. His hands dropped to his sides. No, this, this had to be a joke. He brought the card up again and reread it. Dear Dariush, you are cordially invited to take part in the panel discussion Man of the Future at this year's Making a Man Con at the Portland Expo Centre. We hope you will accept our invitation. We offer a small honorarium and will cover your expenses. A pinky red smear of an object troubled the far periphery of his vision. Maybe a face, a slash of gaping smile fleeting and corrupted. Something fluttered at the base of his skull and he felt a wrapping, squeezing sensation around his thoracic spine. Turning his head and seeing nothing but his mother's red scarf sitting on the doily-draped telephone table, he dismissed it as an automatic response to a trick of the light. What's that then, Derry? Is it from your internet, friends? No, Ma. I, I won a competition, I guess you'd say. Oh, gosh. My lovely boy. You always were the smartest in the class. I always tell the neighbours he'll apply to medical school again next year. When you were eight, the school said you had an IQ of 192. So gifted. How about tonight I make some lamacon and we can rent a film on On Demand? For the first time in a while, Darry's heart felt full. His shoulders tingled with joy. With a lump in his throat, he swept up his tiny mother in his arms and swung her around. I love you, Ma. And he meant it. The next day, Darry floated. His feet barely touched the ground as he went about his mundane tasks. Soon this wouldn't be necessary. First stop making a man, next stop NYT bestsellers or a lucrative YouTube channel. He wondered which would be more appropriate. He already sold a lot of ebooks on Amazon and he had to admit that he was pulled towards the cachet of being a member of the intelligentsia. But on the other hand, 
the money, the instantaneous response of an interactive audience that came with YouTube was very tempting. Maybe he could do both. It was a novel idea, risky, but could he be the first cross-media, cross-generational voice? Anyway, all that was in the future. First, he had to knock the socks off the audience at MAMCON. He'd emailed Malcolm, the secretary of the organising committee, to let him know he'd be accepting the invitation and had received a brochure in return. Scrolling through the PDF, large black and white candid photos of earnest men debating, laughing men on stools, men alone on stage, men gathered in brotherly scrums illuminated the pages. Previous meetings, he gathered. He'd never been before. Of course, he was always ready to make an appearance, but he would rather make his debut as an invited speaker. This call had been a long time coming. He knew he was a somewhat controversial figure on the scene. While he did admire and respect Mystery and Neil Strauss, the author of New York Times bestseller The Game, he had never been shy about his critique of their philosophy and methodology. There was also the matter of the pickup artist scene's reputation for prioritising women over their own development. That didn't always mesh well with the MAMCON ethos. What the MAMCON committee had finally acknowledged, though, was that Darry's real mission was far more ambitious than that of the average seduction coach. As a boy, Darry had spent countless hours watching and re-watching Golden Age movies starring such icons as John Wayne, Charlton Heston, Clint Eastwood, and reading historical texts about the Peloponnesian War, the Vikings, the Roman Empire and the Jesuit warrior knights. His heart ached with the knowledge that the age of heroes had long since passed, that he would never know the thrill of the hunt, lead his sworn brothers into battle or land a ship on a new unexplored continent. Yearning for the time when men could be men, however, would not help matters now. He couldn't grab a sword and jump on a boat, but what he could do was recreate the powerful masculine energy that those glorious fallen men of those long past days had possessed. He could nurture it and protect it, gently shield it from the wave of destructive feminine hatred and pass it down to future generations. The secret that many of his critics were too literal-minded to uncover was that while the boys came to him to learn how to tame and control the wild women of modern times, he was actually teaching them how to be men. The age of heroes would one day return. He would make sure of that. Back to the brochure, he noticed that here and there, a demure-looking woman or two, always dressed modestly, in a high collar and long sleeves, watched from the background of the photos, their gentle smiles and twinkling eyes the marker of a trad wife. The ultimate manosphere accessory. 
that meant there must be some serious power players in regular attendance. He skimmed back to the front of the booklet to see who the committee had invited this year. He recognised the keynote speakers as mainstays of the Men Against Misandry movement, but was pleasantly surprised to see that delegates from all over the Manosphere would be in attendance. A lot of new faces. In Instagram influencers, maybe. A few unexpected ones. More economists and politicians than he would have guessed. And there was even a woman talking about intimate partner violence towards men. The topics sounded fascinating. A mix of religion, traditional values, academia, anti-feminism, self-improvement, neglected men's rights issues, policy matters. There wasn't much about seduction. He, he wondered about that. There seemed to be quite a few MIGTO topics, but at the same time, the traditionalists were there in force, so he was pretty sure there wouldn't be any dramatic confrontations. The one group he was a bit nervous about were the incels. It didn't look like they had been invited. He was relieved. There were probably some that were okay one-on-one, -on -one, but as a group, they were a downer. Ever since the chlorine gas bomb attack at that furry convention, he had been a bit uneasy about their approach to disagreements. He checked his email again to take a look at the description of his panel. Futurism, sci-fi and alternative history. Interesting. So this was because of Brave New World 2040. He read a little more. A discussion of how men's predictive literature can be utilised to further the development of neo-masculinity and men's interests. Utopias and dystopias. Where do we want to see the men of the future? Yeah, yeah, okay. This looked pretty interesting. It was funny. He'd written Brave New World 2040 in one night. He'd awoken from an odd dream and a strange, almost externally driven urge pushed him to write it down. The novel was completed in a single sitting. No draft. It just flew from his fingers. He didn't know where a lot of it came from either. It was as if God was speaking through him. He'd never been much of a believer, but the experience had made him wonder. Mum had always said he had a gift from heaven. A ping on his phone alerted him that the Mamcon people had booked his flight and accommodation. Right, he decided. Time to push up his sleeves and get reading. In five weeks' time, he'd need to be an authority on speculative fiction. Next time, on Return of the King, Chapter 11, Black Dog. Let's get to know Darry's mum a little better. See you there.